Welcome to episode 828 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello, Sam. Hey, pal. Hi. We are talking about the Padres today. It's the San Diego Padres preview podcast. Later in the show, Jeff Paternostro will be talking to Corey Brock, who covers the Padres for MLB.com. But we are talking to this year's BP Annual Essay, author for the Padres, Michael Clare. Hello, Michael. Hey, guys. How are you? All right. Michael writes for MLB.com's Cut 4 site, which is excellent. So you wrote about the Padres, and we all know 2015 didn't really go so well. As you chronicled in your essay, though, it wasn't just the things that people thought might not go so well that didn't go so well. (laughs) It was also everything else. Yeah, it was... uh... It was shocking. Like when I sat down to put it together, you know, I I was like excited. I was like, oh, my God, all these moves. Let's (laughs) let's investigate this. Let's see what happened. And as I looked at like every single one, it was not only a failure, but it was a spectacular one that you couldn't even see. So, you know, betting uh, low on Will Middlebrooks and he can't hit and can't field. Okay, expected maybe. But watching James Shields give up 33 home runs the most since the Padres have been in Petco, that probably was a little unexpected. Matt Kemp, like, not hitting at all the first half of the year. I mean, he, he blew up in the second half, so his numbers over the, the whole time span look fine. But literally everything that could go wrong did go wrong. The, the Padres' best pitcher for the year was Joe Ross, and he was traded away along with who probably would have been their shortstop this year to the Nationals. So it was just... Uh, Everybody was so excited, and it was so much fun, and then just piece by piece, it all collapsed like like dominoes, uh, and it's shocking the way, the way it all fell apart. And pretty much everyone on the Padres gave up 33 home runs. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, no one has figured that out yet, right? Don't, <laughs> I don't think anyone has gotten to the bottom of what happened there. Yeah, because what was it? Cashner also gave up, what, 19 at home, or, or no, Ian, Ian Kennedy. Ian Kennedy gave Kennedy, up. Kennedy, right. Yeah. Kimbrell gave up home runs. Yeah. Yeah. Tyson Ross started walking people, which that's not, you know, he was, he, it, otherwise he had a great year, and I love watching Tyson Ross, uh, half for his stuff and his performance, and half because it's like watching a guy from like 1943 in his motion, just uh-huh. nobody is like that relaxed anymore, but he was walking people, uh, Andrew Kashner, who looked like an ace in 2014, had a bad year, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> this Brandon Morrow looked great for five starts, and then he missed the rest of the season. It was, 
It w- and then, I mean, the defense, everybody thought... I did. Well, 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 hey, I think we're going to have to call five starts from Brandon Morrow to be the one thing that went well. So it was like double, double the expected. That, that's true. That's true. But, you know, like, it, it's almost worse that the five starts were so good because it was like this bright light, this, like, shining beacon. Well, hey, he's going to come back. Look at this. F- these five starts are great. We get this going. Tyson Ross does a little bit better. Kashner, you know... Josh bounces. Johnson comes back. <laughs> and everything... <laughs> goes perfect yeah so it's it's almost like that that seed of hope where then everything is stolen from you and ripped apart uh that might even make it worse so maybe brandon morrow is the 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 perfect example of of how everything could go wrong because the start of the year everybody was excited everybody was hopeful and maybe the hope was the worst part will myers too by the way that was another thing that was genuinely going well and then it went wrong in, in an unexpected way. He got hurt. And then when he came back, he hit 198 after that. Yeah. So yeah, even the things that went well could not, they, they just had so, so little fuel behind their wellness. Well, the, there is, there is the Melvin Upton, the oh, yeah. secret beacon was legitimate major leaguer. Melvin Upton. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Second half again, though, the only problem is it looks like what was really driving his success was yes, he was pulling the ball a little bit more, but Really, other than him missing more balls out of the zone, none of his approach was seemingly different. So unless he has this ability now to continue swinging at the same pitches that he has for his career, but now he just misses the bad ones, that will likely not be repeatable in 2016. So can you describe last year's A.J. Preller and this year's A.J. Preller in one description? One description. Wow. Because I, I could have that, that's a question that's like answerable in like a lot of sentences, maybe like a short thesis paper. Are they? Yeah. Is there anything about those two two versions of AJ Preller that share the same DNA? Is there is there do you see echoes? Do you see similarities in, I, I, in what he did? I, I do, actually. And this is a big point, I think, in Preller's favor is while he hasn't been going out making quite so many moves this year or quite as splashy ones he still doesn't seem to be afraid to take some big risks and take some chances you know he's basically restocked the farm system or close to it by trading away craig kimbrell they have i believe three possibly four but i think it's three uh draft picks uh really early on the acquisition of Drew Pomeranz could be fantastic, bringing in Fernando Rodney and just being willing to trade guys. Uh, the, the the Mariners deal for Benoit brought in some like really fresh, young, terrifyingly frightening arms that could either blow up and be nothing or blow up and be amazing. I still think you're seeing a guy who's willing to take risks, who's willing to make trades, who is... I, I, think, I think he's someone who's very confident in what he's doing and isn't afraid to go, okay, this didn't work last year. Well, great. We're going to move on and, and, and make deals and, and bring people in. Uh, and I think, I think that's a great thing. And I, I, I have a lot of faith actually in this Padres front office for the future. Yeah. It's three of the first 26 picks, six of the first 85 picks. And Reportedly, they're going to be one of those teams that's going to go way over their spending pool limit in the international signing period. And this was kind of what we thought A.J. Preller was going to do, or this was going to be his strength, at least. we Maybe people who knew Preller well knew that he wasn't going to sit back and wait for the rebuild, but 
his strength was supposed to be, you know, international market and player development and scouting. And so maybe now we're going to see him do something he's good at. He's bad yeah. at. <laughs> so I guess that's a hopeful thing. For yeah. Padres fans. And I mean, one other thing is, and, uh, you know, I think, I think Sam might agree with this. I've been thinking a lot about death, you know, recently and people go to sports to have fun and to enjoy themselves. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people have kind of been talking about, you know, these sort of massive rebuilds and whether, whether we want to call them tanking or not. But this was a team that likely knew that as they were constructed last year, probably weren't favorites to go win a World Series, but that they should have been better and more competitive than they were. And this is a team that is rebuilding, but doesn't want to blow everything up and have you watch a hundred loss team for three, four, five seasons while they amass draft picks, but still put a product on the field that has a star player like Matt Kemp that you want to come out and see that has, you know, James Shields, you know, he's a name, whether or not your number three starter, whose greatest skill is, you know, pitching 200 plus innings is, you know, worth the big name you can debate, but it, there's if you're a Padres fan, this is still a team that you should go out and enjoy watching and you come home on a Tuesday night and you put it on. And I think there's something I, I don't want to debate the, the business of it or, you know, if, if you want to win a World Series, but people who are fans of teams that win World Series come next spring. Well, they want to win another World Series. It's not like you're sated by this one victory. What you want is day to day enjoyment of your team. And I think that's something that AJ Preller and and the Padres are, are, I think, really good at doing, especially as you look at, yeah, how they're sort of amassing talent for the future at the same time that they that that they have the the team that they have. So I wrote about their season. I don't know. It was probably September or something like that for uh, for Jabo. And, uh, you know, as as you're identifying, everything was worse. Uh, about this team, everything was horrible and sad, uh, but they were drawing more fans. And you could at least uh, say that they took a team that was not very interesting and nobody wanted to watch them and wasn't very good to was kind of interesting. And some people wanted to watch them, even though they weren't very good at the time, they were averaging 4,000 more fans per game. And I'm looking now at the end of the year, they bumped their attendance from just under 2.2 million to just under 2.5 million. So that's like, you know, a little less than 300,000 fans. So yeah, still about three or 4,000 more a game. Is that enough to justify it? Or I'm trying to figure out if that sounds like a lot or not. Like if I were trying to make an argument, I can't decide which side I would use this for. So, you know, money wise, uh, that's, you know, not my strong suit but i i think as people tend to to say see is if you're successful one year you don't see the huge bump that year you tend to see it the year after and had things not gone so spectacular had had they been more of like a 83 84 85 win team that were a little more competitive then you probably i think would continue to see fans come out because this was a good team this was a team that was in a playoff race until the end of the year unfortunately now that happened so we're not going to see that like second year bump as the team returns maybe to relevance. But I, I do think there's, there's something to that, to having people want to want to go out the, the TV ratings, they, they set a record for TV ratings in a month in April for the course of the season. I, I can't remember the number, but it was a, 
pretty dr- uh, dramatic jump over the 2014 TV ratings. So, you know, this is a San Diego. It's warm. It's sunny all day. You can go surfing. You can eat uh, fish tacos whenever you want. You can just, you know, hang out and, and drink heavily in the gas lamp quarter. But the, the team became exciting and relevant. And I think beyond just the people who came to the stadium, the fact that the Padres became relevant after a series of mid 70 win seasons in a row. I I do think there, there is a value in that. And yeah, I mean, as I said, if they were just a little bit better than they were last year, I do think you would have seen that, that sort of growth on top of each other. You know, you look at the pirates from, you know, a couple years ago, nobody was going out to see them. Then they had that push towards 81 wins and, you know, you couldn't contain the, the the ballpark was, you know, selling like standing room only tickets and they were setting single game attendance records and that sort of feeds on itself. Do you think this team is constructed better as a team? That was kind of the critique of the Padres going into last spring that they had made all these flashy moves and signed all these high profile players, but they didn't really fit as a team. They still had positions where they were just abysses and then they had no center fielder and bad outfield defense and all that stuff. Do you think this roster kind of, you know, looks more <laughs> like like someone remembered what all the positions on a baseball team are? Or do you think it's still sort of patchwork? It's it's better. It's it's certainly better. You know, just the mere fact of playing Melvin Upton or, or uh, Jankowski in center field, that alone makes it better. The outfield defense last year was so horrendously bad, no matter what metric you want to use, and possibly was worse than the metric said, because basically Matt Kemp graded out well in right field, and you can debate whether that was true or not. So playing Will Myers at first base and having Solarte at third is all it's already a better team in just it's in just the mere construction. Uh the signing Alexei Ramirez probably wasn't a great move. It's kind of a sideways shuffle from Amarista. But if part of the problem last year was defense, they're going to be stronger up the middle. They're going to be stronger in the outfield. So they should at least be giving up fewer runs, which was a big problem of last year was they scored more runs, but then they growth they had there. They gave it all away by how many they gave up. So they, they definitely are stronger in their construction. The problem is, is just, a lot of the players they they have in those positions are second division starters or good depth guys on 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 better teams. Sideways shuffle is not a bad skill for a shortstop. Just just to be clear, <laughs> but that's true. Yeah. Do you? Uh, th- there's been I think there's been some I don't know criticism. Maybe uh, th- there's a feeling I think that maybe this off season was kind of like a half measure that they didn't trade. Tyson Ross, they'd already, they continued to not trade Andrew Kashner. You know, they still look like a team that, I don't know, that they're a high 70s win team, right? Do you or do you sort of see that kind of ambivalence in their offseason? Or do you think that some of these players that I just named are potential pieces on a good Padres team in not too far of the future? I have trouble seeing these guys being core pieces of the next good Padres team, just because... They they are kind of far away and in a division with the Dodgers, the Giants and the Diamondbacks, especially the way those three teams have shown a willingness to spend money. It's going to be difficult to kind of sneak in, uh, you know, with like an 86, 88 win type season. But the thing is, with, with the ambivalence, I think the team really is 
kind of priding itself not on on building and trying to grow but not tearing it all down now whether we get to july 31st or or now august 1st this year and you know aj preller decides that he's going to try and make a complete trade wheel with every team and complete 30 trades in in a single day i wouldn't be shocked if that happened but i think there is a desire to build upon things with the team they have rather than going to a 60 win team and then needing to make that sort of Astros leap, you know, of 15, 20 wins improvement in a single off season. I think there is something to, you know, you, you plug in gaps with improvements year to year, and then you find yourself with a, with a stronger team. But yeah, I, again, if, if AJ Preller decides to, he just makes random calls all days and has a random trade generator and he just listens to that. I I also wouldn't be, completely shocked if that happened i want to see a game show where jerry depoto john coppolella and aj preller are all in dunk tanks and if they they if they don't make a trade every 30 seconds they get dunked and they just trade from their own rosters to each other constantly yeah I, I feel like you. They have to give up some. Like other than beyond dunking, they have to lose. Like they uh, get a, shot. No, they have yes. to get. They get shot in the stomach. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So now they're really like, okay. Oh my god. Uh, I'll, I'll give you Brett Wallace for uh, uh, your your rule five, and it's like you got to come for the name, and then they're shot in the stomach. <laughs> Frank Core for Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> who doesn't make that trade and who isn't excited by no. that trade <laughs> um and, and myers we alluded to earlier but you know before he got hurt last year he looked really good he looked like the will myers people hoped he would become and you know he's supposedly 100 percent now and theoretically he could get back to that but does the fact that he's now a first baseman which might be the best place for him but does that sort of lower his ceiling enough that he's not someone who makes people excited anymore i I think if he hits and i think he showed when he was healthy that he can hit really well i think that would be enough to excite people looking through the padres history you really don't have uh, a big hitter uh since adrian gonzalez and so he i think it's enough now whether that's something that AJ Preller would want to hold on to, I kind of doubt. I think that would then have more value somewhere else and they would look to just sort of get that sort of league average first baseman because I don't think Will Myers at, at this point and the way his injury history has shown is going to be this uh, amazing hitter as a first baseman. I, I think uh, he can be a strong hitter. He can lo- likely post the highest OPS on the team and it, he'll have a great year. But yeah, I, I do think there's definitely something to to what you're saying where, yeah, moving him from the outfield now he's playing at first base. The types of numbers that we now think he can put up are not the 45 home runs that, you know, we, we were all dreaming of at the Wade Davis-James Shields trade when we thought Dayton Moore wasn't, you know, insane. He now, yeah, does look to be not Yonder Alonso, but not Paul Goldschmidt either. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, Zachary Levine wrote the winning the offseason essay, so we should probably ask him instead of you, uh, but, <laughs> but you're here, and I just thought of this. Yeah. Um, say, I I mean, the Padres were the team that won the offseason last yeah. year. 
Uh, and it turned out that they uh, made all those moves because they didn't have a very good team. And when they made all those moves, they maybe had a better team. I think they probably had a better team, even though they lost more games. But they still had smalls. So if I tell you that, you know, if I if I told you that a team won next year's offseason, next year's. OK, so you don't okay. know the team. You don't know the team. You don't know anything about them. You, I, you don't even know which team they are. I'm just telling you this team won the offseason. How many wins do you project for them? Ooh, okay. Let's see. Not knowing the team, I would say 88. 88 wins, you win the offseason, and that's kind of balancing because a team like the Dodgers could win the Mm offseason or a team like the Padres, who are a 70-win team, could win the offseason. I honestly think had things gone closer to expectations for the Padres last year, I think they're an 84-85 win team, and as we all know... yeah anything happens from there and who knows what happens at the trade deadline. So yeah, I think 88 is my win the off season number. Okay, good. I just needed to know whether that term is now to be used exclusively ironically <laughs> or, or sincerely. And, and you're saying sincerely and I will, uh, I will now use it sincerely because that's how much respect I have for you. <laughs> well, that's, a, I, I mean, listen, I, I don't want to, I don't want to change anybody's mind. I, I don't want to change who you are. Sam, I, I, I'm trying to, you know, looking for the good in people, looking for the good in teams, looking for the good in excitement. Why, why take a good thing like winning the offseason and, and turn it into, into some meme in which we, we laugh at the hard work of others? I, I, I don't see the, the point in doing something like that. <laughs> okay, give us your <laughs> Padres win prediction for 2016. Uh, I really... I was trying so hard to convince myself to give some crazy number. You know, I saw Pakoda and I was like, okay, how could I say this is an 85 win team? Or how could I say this is a 68 win team? I think Pakoda basically nailed them, barring Preller somehow winning the deadline or the entire team just imploding or somehow everyone who had a bad year last year somehow getting worse. Uh, I think it's going to be very close to that. So I'm going to say the team is going to win 79 games, but that's going to come with a incredibly hot start to the season that's going to overshadow uh, how bad everything was last year. And so six weeks into the year, we're going to go, how are we so wrong? What is this team doing? And then that's going to be followed by, you know, kind of the inevitable collapse and, and regression. What is more likely 85 or 68? I'm going to have to say 68. I agree. Yeah, which is weird because your prediction is higher than the median, uh, you know, or than the middle point. That's true. That's I mean, well, this is this is clearly why we have projection systems, because they're much smarter than me uh, (laughs) and they they can factor things in other than just, you know, the good feelings. But I I think my, my, my slightly higher bump is because of the the very hot start they get out to. And then that gives them like a a four win leap over their true talent. Right. Well, I like the added detail that you gave us in that <laughs> prediction. Most people just give us the number, no sense of how they got there, but you gave us the trajectory. You gave us a sense of their season as well, well listen, as where if, they if, end up. I'm going to be wrong no matter what I say, so I might as well be spectacularly wrong, like just like the Padres <laughs> last year. So. Right. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again. You can find Michael writing for MLB.com's Cut Foresight, and you can also find him on Twitter at ClaireBearAttack. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right. Coming up after the break, you will hear Jeff Paternoster talking to Corey Brock of MLB.com. My lady of leisure looms large in the room. For 
force of nature, foreteller of doom Might not have a mattress, but she has got me Tomorrow I've got no idea where I'll be Welcome to the second half of our 2016 Padres preview. Joining us now is Corey Brock, Padres beat writer for MLB.com. Corey, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So on the 2015 Padres preview, uh, Sahadev asked you if you had a handle on who Padres GM A.J. Preller was after his whirlwind first offseason. Twelve months later, has the picture become any clearer for you? Yes and no. You know, that it's it was such an interesting first winner for A.J. Preller and uh, and um, the way he went about assembling that team for 2015, I don't think was anything anyone in baseball uh, really expected or, um, you know, it could even come close to predicting that was the way things were going to lay out with trading a lot of uh, minor league assets to get some major league ready pieces and what appeared to be a win now, uh, let's go for it this year. Uh, and see what happens mode as we know that didn't uh, it didn't turn out the way they thought you know the way he went about this winter um, is a little bit more in line as to how I thought that he would go about things when he was hired you know moving some major league ready pieces uh, maybe some expiring contracts and uh, getting some nice pieces to rebuild the farm system and uh, with an eye on certainly uh, the first year player draft and then making a big splash internationally. You know, look, AJ Preller's got four years left on his deal, and I think they're gonna they want to build this thing up from from the ground up. Uh, the franchise is very wary of the term rebuilding. They like to call it building. I think that's semantics basically I think you're splitting hairs. But I think uh this approach this past winter, you know, adding some short term pieces, uh, Alexi Ramirez at shortstop. Um, Fernando Rodney is a potential closer. You kind of lead me to believe that, you know, these guys are going to kind of move about things slowly and wait for some of these minor league prospects to arrive. So I think in a long-winded uh, answer, I think uh, we're getting a little bit better sense. I think this is a little bit more of the A.J. Preller I thought the Padres were getting. Um, I, I'm not sure we'll ever be able to explain that first winter. It was certainly exciting. They captured the fan base, uh, but ultimately that team failed to deliver. As you said, they won fewer games in 2015 than they did in 2014, and they entered 2016 without Craig Kimbrell or Justin Upton. Meanwhile, the Diamondbacks and Giants both loaded up for a run at the Dodgers, so we'll call it building. Has San Diego fully pivoted towards building again? Oh, it, it seems like, you know, this will be my 10th year covering the team, that it's kind of always been in a building mode. It's It's been a, a, a tough run here for this franchise. You know, they haven't been in the postseason since 2006. There's not many teams across the landscape of baseball that can say that or that have had a dry spell as long. Um, you know, for me, uh, for my money, this has uh, been a franchise. Certainly, it's had uh, low payrolls in the past. They're up over $100 million for the second year in a row. But where I think the ultimate failing of this franchise and the, and the blame could be spread out over uh, different general managers, scouting directors, is they failed to identify draft, develop, and graduate impact players to the big leagues. Look, they've gotten a lot of guys to the big leagues that they've drafted, but not impact players, um, the kind of guys that can uh, really move a franchise and can really uh, do some damage and are are coveted pieces. They just haven't had nearly enough of those. They certainly haven't had uh, very many, if, if any at all, really, in my time covering the team. 
And you were there for both Matt Bush and Donovan Tate, no? Not Matt Bush, but uh, Donovan Tate, absolutely. So are we still sort of seeing the effects to a certain extent? You can't really look at one or two missed high first-round picks as death knells for a competitive team in the in the near future. But is that sort of a symptom of the problem? Yeah, you know, yeah. And it's, it was different people uh, at the top for both of those. But I think it comes up, the problem is, yeah, yeah, you, you fail to hit on your first-round pick. That looks pretty bad. But, you know, you go back through and you look on baseball reference, you go through these drafts, and I like to do that. Maybe it's just morbid curiosity more than anything. And there's a lot of first-rounders that don't make it. But, you know, I think ultimately, you know, you, your, your failings are in rounds not just as much round one, but rounds two through 15, just uh, really trying to find uh, really impact guys that uh, and, and project whether they're college or, or, or high school players and uh, trying to see what these guys are going to be. And then once they get in the system, you know, it's incumbent upon your development staff to help these guys get better. So like I said, the, the blame goes around. Uh, is spread around uh, quite a bit, especially when you're talking about this length of time, you know, 10, 15 years. So, but yeah, certainly those notable ones at the top, Matt Bush, uh, Donovan Tate, yeah, those stick out pretty badly. So the last podcast I did was our Brewers preview. And while the Padres didn't go as deeply into rebuilding mode as Milwaukee did, I kind of see their situations as somewhat similar. Both are in the down part of their competitive cycle right now in tough divisions, behind teams that have various structural or financial advantages. So I know you've probably been hearing this for 10 years, but what does the medium-term plan look like and how long will it take for the Padres to be competitive again? Yeah, you know, and that's the funny thing, you know, and like I alluded to at the top, you know, uh, splitting hairs between rebuilding and building. And, okay, I get it. But, you know, ultimately, uh, all these franchises are trying to walk that fine line and uh, kind of straddle between balancing the short term and the long term. I, I get that, you know, and some teams are a little bit more geared to compete in the here and now than they are in the future. But, you know, I think, I, I think again, how AJ Preller went about this and trying to add some minor league assets, some guys that can potentially move this team. I thought the haul that they got for Craig Kimbrell was really good, uh, potentially really good. Time will tell what these guys end up becoming, but I think you have two potential impact guys at the top and, Manuel Margot and Javi Guerra, the young shortstop, probably two years away. Um, I, you know, we'll see what these guys end up being. Um, but I, I thought that was a pretty good haul for for a guy in Kimbrel who didn't really have that good of a year with the Padres. Um, you know, if we get past the save category, and we certainly should, because there was a lot of other uh, stats that we could dig into that have a little bit more meat and significance. Um, I didn't think he had that great of a year, certainly not when compared to the years that he's had. But, um, yeah, I think yeah, this is a team that's geared to compete in 2017 and beyond, um, or at least have the intentions of doing that. They still have a long ways to go. And I think a fair question to ask, um, especially on the heels of uh, doing a Brewers podcast, is, you know, if you're saying, okay, the Padres are doing this, why is Tyson Ross and why is James Shields, why are they still on the team? So, uh, maybe we'll have a clearer picture on August 1st exactly what this lines up to be if this team has completely fallen out of contention. And, um, you know, I still think that this has become overnight a, a very, very good division, a very competitive division. I think you have to consider moving those assets and, and trying to recoup as much value as possible. So that's the high-level overview. They do have to play 162 games in 2016, so we'll drill down a little bit into the players that will be doing that. And they have a few holdovers from that whirlwind 2014 offseason. 
We'll start with Matt Kemp. He was okay in 2015, though maybe not the player they thought they were getting after his bounce back in LA. He's also owed a lot of money. What does the short-term future hold for him in San Diego? Well, it better hold more production moving forward and the production in the first half. I mean, we, uh, the Padres took a lot of stock in that second half he had with the Dodgers in 2014 when he was healthy, and I think that was a big push as to why they went out and traded for him and certainly took on all that salary. Uh, last year kind of lined up the same way. He was healthy. Uh, first half was it was pretty rough. I don't think he hit his uh, second home run until maybe June 1st, somewhere around there. Um, and by that point, the Padres had you know, fallen out of contention. Uh, they dismissed their manager, who probably got the short end of the stick there. You know, but um, you know, I you know, the second half was pretty good. You know, he gets hammered a lot in terms of war and uh, on his defense, and I get that. You know, I did have an interesting stat on him the other day on Fangraphs uh, on that camp. I was uh, Andy Green, the new manager, was talking about Corey Spangenberg, the second baseman. Uh, just when when Andy saw Spangenberg from across the way in Arizona talking about how he lined out a lot. And it got me kind of thinking about line drive rates and, uh, you know, batted ball velocity um, in terms of uh, soft, medium, and hard hit balls. And I looked, and <laughs> Matt Kemp, I think, if I remember this correctly, he had the, the highest percentage uh, of hard hit balls in the National League, you know, ahead of Paul Goldschmidt, um, a lot of other guys. So, you know, I don't know if the guy was unlucky or not, and I'm not trying to allude to that, but you know, I think what they need, you know, is, is someone to be productive in the middle part of that lineup from April 4th on. And, um, you know, the second half stuff, it doesn't do you any good. 100 RBIs sure looks nice and shiny on the back of a baseball card, uh, but it didn't help the Padres at all in 2015. The other big offseason move was signing James Shields, and he struggled in his first taste of National League Baseball. Not what you would probably expect given the switch of league and park. He'll be 34 this year, and there's a lot of miles on his arm. Can he still be a, a factor in the Padres' rotation, at least probably for their short-term concern? Can he be good enough to be a deadline deal candidate? Yeah, absolutely, as far as a deadline deal guy. And, you know, I think he's kind of an outlier in terms of kind of a throwback as far as, you know, the workload. And, yeah, as you alluded to, a lot of miles on that arm. But this guy really hasn't had too many breakdown issues um, you know, he's answered the bell and, you know, managers in front office put a lot of stock at guys that make 30 plus starts and throw 200 innings. I mean, you just, uh, you, you can't have nearly enough of those guys. And now then you break down the innings last year and yeah, a lot of home runs allowed, um, especially in a, in a ballpark, Petco park, which has earned the reputation as a pitcher's park. Now Petco park plays a lot differently now, uh, or it did in 2015 than it did in 2004 when it opened or even in 2007, my first year covering the team. And then one thing we saw last year was kind of the complete absence of the Marine layer, um, you know, where it's really hard to elevate and drive a ball after about eight o'clock at night, April, and May, you get this dense kind of fog effect that rolls in from that large uh, body of water we have outside the ballpark, the Pacific ocean. And I think the average temperature at Petco uh, was considerably higher at, at game time last year than it had been before. Now, I'm not making excuses at all, um, but, you know, Ian Kennedy gave up a lot of home runs. Uh, as a staff, they gave up a ton. So um, and maybe things kind of get back to the norm a little bit, unless you're a firm believer in global warming. And then I guess all of us are screwed to some extent. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think that he could still be very productive. This guy takes uh, very, very good care of himself. He's kind of uh, meticulously takes track of, 
um, situations and all that and batters and has a really good total recall ability. But, you know, I, I have to think that a lot of these guys, again, if this team is completely out of it as we're approaching uh, the trade deadline, I think that they're all uh, commodities that you're going to be able to move. So I imagine the Padres going into 2015 didn't expect Kemp and Shields to take a step forward at that point in their career. But they were probably hoping for a little bit more from Will Myers when they dealt away Joe Ross and Trey Turner, both of whom looked to be major contributors on a competitive Nationals team this year. Can a healthy, and that's probably a significant caveat here, Will Myers be an impact player for the Padres this season? You know, I think he's maybe not the key, but one of the keys to this whole thing. You know, we look back last year, and this is a guy, you know, who's your opening day center fielder. Um, as we, Yonder Alonso was injured in May, and Will Myers moved to first base, and really did a nice job there in a very, very small sample size. I had a position he hadn't played, and I think he was really starting to discover something offensively. I think his plate discipline, plate discipline improved considerably from April to May. Um, you know, he's sitting at the top of the order. You know, strike zone awareness um, had gotten a lot better. I think this guy has a really high aptitude and a really high ceiling, and I think he's probably one of the better athletes on the team. You know, they're going to pencil him in at first base, and I asked him the other day what 600 plate appearances would, would mean for him You know, in a career that's been derailed a little bit by some wrist injuries. I don't think he's played a full year really since 2013 when you factor in his minor league time and then certainly his time in the big leagues when he was rookie of the year. But, you know, I, I think that this guy is capable of a lot of big things. He's 25 years old, but again, I, I don't think that he's anywhere near his ceiling. And, um, you know, I think he's going to have a big year for the Padres. We talked a little bit already about the Craig Kimball deal and specifically the prospects coming back from Boston. As far as Manuel Margot and Javi Guerra go, what is the plan for them in 2016? Yeah, again, I think Guerra is probably two years away. We'll see if maybe he starts off in Double uh, A San Antonio. Uh, this new regime has been pretty proactive in terms of uh, pushing these guys and trying to challenge them. Uh, Margot certainly needs some seasoning as well. Maybe a full. Maybe he starts in Double A but advances uh, to Triple A El Paso at some point. And you know, it's certainly a big hitters league. It's interesting compare and contrast there between their Double A. Uh, affiliate in San Antonio and AAA uh, El Paso. Uh, the Texas League certainly regards a, a very strong pitchers league, some big ballparks where uh, the Pacific Coast League is like hitting a baseball on the moon. You and I could probably hit 270 there. Maybe that's not fair, but maybe 260. But no, I, I think that you know he's not far off. They're going to take a good look at him. You know, in spring training, uh, and he'll probably get some uh, time in major league games. And then certainly on the minor league side, but I think they're pretty excited about him. I think they feel like his bat's going to play, and I think he's a good defensive fit, especially in these big NL West ballparks. Uh, being in terms of being able to roam and go get a ball, so uh, I think those are going to be two fun guys to kind of keep your eye on in 2016. It does sound like center field might have a job opening soon. The Padres may break camp with Travis Jankowski or Melvin Upton or both playing there. Now, he may not have been the answer, but he would have been an option. So why did the Padres choose to part ways with former top prospect Reimer Liriano? Yeah, I think his time had just kind of passed here. I think, uh, you know, there was a whole lot of swing and miss in the bat. Um, you know, homegrown guy, that uh, he, he came up, I think it was in 2014, got some time, and kind of saw the writing on the wall last September when the rosters expanded, and especially for a team that wasn't competing at all, and he didn't get a call-up. And, you know, I, I, I talked to some scouts who said, 
you know, he can look very good at times, very electric. But then I got a, a text from a scout after the trade and said I saw him in a series, a three-game series somewhere, and he just looked horrible um, in terms of his plate discipline, his at-bats, and his defensive play as well. So I, I think that this ship had just kind of sailed on him. And, I, you know, I, I've read a lot of stuff about how the Brewers are excited about him. And maybe maybe this ends up being the Padres being completely wrong here. But I just I feel like they didn't just never really saw a place for him at the big league level after his short stint there in 2000, uh, 2014 and had just kind of moved on from there. Maybe he'd kind of been lapped by guys, especially like Jankowski. So, Corey, we'll let you go with this. For our listeners that might not follow the Padres as closely, who's an under-the-radar player that could have an impact on the 2016 team? Ooh, ooh, this is a good one. This is a good one. Um, I got some guys I'm really... Kind of, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the guy that I, I'm who piques my interest the most. Okay, um, outside of Will Myers, who I, I'm curious to see what he could do in a full year of being healthy. But the guy I want to see, and the guy I want to see make the team, is Jabari Blash. Um, you know, they picked him up in the Rule Five draft. Actually, a trade after the Rule Five draft. This guy has uh, had some time with the Mariners, and you know, a lot of swing and miss in the bat, but a lot of raw, raw power. I think he hit 32 home runs last season. And, you know, if he can make the team as a fourth outfielder, um, maybe there's an opportunity for him to steal some at-bats. Again, if your team is not really going to be uh, competitive or not going to, you know, be in line to make a run at the pennant, uh, or at least for the division title, uh, you can maybe afford to carry a couple of Rule 5 guys. They have four of them. Uh, another guy we, we didn't talk about is Luis Perdomo. Uh, you know, the Cardinals couldn't protect him with their embarrassment of riches, uh, farm system so maybe you could it's a little bit easier i think to hide a guy a, a pitcher a rule five pitcher on a poor team than it is a position player but uh jabari blast for me is very intriguing and then i'd say perdomo would be right after that Corey brock you can follow him on twitter at follow the padres you can read his stuff on the padres at mlb.com thanks for joining us thanks again all right that's it for today thank you to michael and Corey for coming on you can send us emails at podcastbaseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. You can buy our book. It's called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. Sam and I helped run an independent league team last summer, and we wrote about our experience. It comes out in about two months, May 3rd. But if you pre-order it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere else, you may get it a little bit earlier. You can also rate and review our podcast on iTunes, and you can support our sponsor, The Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back tomorrow with the next team in our series, the Minnesota Twins. Spotlight. Oh, spotlight. 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 Wow. Mm. That's a surprise. That's, that's, yeah. It's great. Wow. I don't have an, I don't actually know how to react. I don't know what, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the bit, I don't know what the, the <laughs> narrative is on Spotlight versus anything else. Yeah. Wow, though. Whoa. Whoa. It's like, you know, it's like Michael, it's like you said.
Whoa. <laughs> I would vote for Mad Max. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't. It was a weak crop. It was a weak crop. I agree. I would have voted. I'd, I'd have voted for margin call. I feel like margin call. I don't. It doesn't matter if it's years late. I feel like it didn't really get it. It was clearly the best movie of that year, and um, I'd probably would just vote for it. 